Chapter 3, Job, Part 2 of The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by HearHis.com The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2, by Rabbi Louis Ginsberg. Job's Suffering Equipped with unlimited power, Satan endeavored to deprive Job of all he owned. He burnt part of his cattle, and the other part was carried off by enemies. What pained Job more than this was that recipients of his bounty turned against him and took of his belongings. Among the adversaries that assailed him was Lilith, the queen of Sheba, she lived at a great distance from his residence. It took her and her army three years to travel from her home to his. She fell upon his oxen and his asses and took possession of them. After slaying the men to whose care Job had entrusted them, one man escaped alone. Wounded and bruised, he had only enough life in him to tell Job the tale of his losses, and then he fell down dead. The sheep which had been left unmolested by the queen of Sheba, were taken away by the Chaldeans. Job's first intention was to go to war against these marauders, but when he was told that some of his property had been consumed by fire from heaven, he desisted and said, If the heavens turn against me, I can do nothing. Dissatisfied with the result, Satan disguised himself as the king of Persia besieged the city of Job's residence, took it, and spoke to the inhabitants, saying, This man Job hath appropriated all the goods in the world, leaving not for others, and he hath also torn down the temple of our God. And now I will pay him back for his wicked deeds. Come with me, and let us pillage his house. At first the people refused to hearken to the words of Satan, they feared that the sons and daughters of Job might rise up against them later and avenge their father's wrongs. But after Satan had pulled down the house wherein the children of Job were assembled, and they lay dead in the ruins, the people did as he bade them and sacked the house of Job. Seeing that neither the loss of all he had nor the death of his children could change his pious heart, Satan appeared before God a second time, and requested that Job himself, his very person, be put into his hand. God granted Satan's plea, but he limited his power to Job's body, his soul he could not touch. In a sense, Satan was worse off than Job. He was in the position of the slave that has been ordered by his master to break the picture and not spill the wine. Satan now caused a terrific storm to burst over the house of Job. He was cast from his throne by the reverberations, and he lay upon the floor for three hours. Then Satan smote his body with leprosy from the sole of his foot unto his crown. This plague forced Job to leave the city and sit down outside upon an ash heap, for his lower limbs were covered with oozing boils, and the issue flowed out upon the ashes. The upper part of his body was encrusted with dry boils, and to ease the itching they caused him, he used his nails until they dropped off together with his fingertips, and 
he took him a potsherd to scrape himself withal. His body swarmed with vermin, but if one of the little creatures attempted to crawl away from him, he forced it back, saying, Remain on the place whither thou wast sent, until God resigns another unto thee. His wife, fearful that he would not bear his horrible suffering with steadfastness, advised him to pray to God for death, that lie might be sure of going hence an upright man. But he rejected her counsel, saying, If in the days of good fortune, which usually tempts men to deny God, I stood firm, and did not rebel against him, surely I shall be able to remain steadfast under misfortune, which compels men to be obedient to God. And Job stuck to his resolve in spite of all his suffering, while his wife was not strong enough to bear her fate with resignation to the will of God. Her lot was bitter indeed, for she had had to take service as a water-carrier with a common churl, and when her master learnt that she shared her bread with Job, he dismissed her. To keep her husband from starving, she cut off her hair and purchased bread with it. It was all she had to pay the price charged by the bread merchant, none other than Satan himself who wanted to put her to the test. He said to her, Hast thou not deserved this great misery of thine? It had not come upon thee. This speech was more than the poor woman could bear. Then it was that she came to her husband, and amid tears and groans urged him to renounce God and die. Job, however, was not perturbed by her words, because he divined at once that Satan stood behind his wife and seduced her to speak thus. Turning to the tempter, he said, Why dost thou not meet me frankly? Give up thy underhand ways, thou wretch. Thereupon Satan appeared before Job, admitted that he had been vanquished, and went away abashed. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2 by Rabbi Louis Ginsburg The Four Friends the friends of Job lived in different places at intervals of three hundred miles one from the other. Nevertheless, they all were informed of their friend's misfortune at the same time. In this way, each one had the pictures of the others set in his crown, and as soon as any one of them met with reverses, it showed itself in his picture. Thus, the friends of Job learnt simultaneously of his misfortune, and they hastened to his assistance. The four friends were related to one another, and each one was related to Job. Elipaz, king of Taman, was a son of Esau. Bildad, Zophar, and Elihu were cousins. Their fathers, Shawa, Namat, and Barakal, were the sons of Buz, who was a brother of Job and a nephew of Abraham. When the four friends arrived in the city in which Job lived, the inhabitants took them outside the gates, and pointing to a figure reclining upon an ash-heap at some distance off, they said, Yonder is Job. At first the friends would not give them credence, and they decided to look more closely at the man to make sure of his identity. But the foul smell emanating from Job was so strong that they could not come near him. 
they ordered their armies to scatter perfumes and aromatic substances all around. Only after this had been done for hours, they could approach the outcast close enough to recognize him. Eliphaz was the first to address Job. Art thou indeed, Job, a king equal in rank with ourselves? When Job said I, they broke out into lamentations and bitter tears, and altogether they sang an eulogy, the armies of the three kings Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar joining in the choir. Again Eliphaz began to speak, and he bemoaned Job's sad fortune, and depicted his friend's former glory, adding the refrain to each sentence, Whither hath departed the splendor of thy throne? After listening long to the wailing and lamenting of Eliphaz and his companions, Job spake, saying, Silence, and I will show you my throne and the splendor of its glory. Kings will perish, rulers disappear. Their pride and luster will pass like a shadow across a mirror. But my kingdom will persist forever and ever. For glory and magnificence are in the chariot of my father. These words aroused the wrath of Eliphaz, and he called upon his associates to abandon Job to his fate and go their way. But Bildad appeased his anger, reminding him that some allowance ought to be made for one so sorely tried as Job. Bildad put a number of questions to the sufferer in order to establish his sanity. He wanted to elicit from Job how it came about that God, upon whom he continued to set his hopes, could inflict such dire suffering. Not even a king of flesh and blood would allow a guardsman of his that had served him loyally to come to grief. Bildad desired to have information from Job also concerning the movements of the heavenly bodies. Job had but one answer to make to these questions. Man cannot comprehend divine wisdom, whether it reveal itself in inanimate and brute nature or in relation to human beings. But, continued Job, to prove to you that I am in my right mind, listen to the question I shall put to you. Solid food and liquids combine inside of man, and they separate again when they leave his body. Who effects the separation? And when Bildad conceded that he could not answer the question, Job said, If thou canst not comprehend the changes in thy body, how canst thou hope to comprehend the movements of the planets? Zophar, after Job had spoken thus to Bildad, was convinced that his suffering had had no effect upon his mind, and he asked him whether he would permit himself to be treated by the physicians of the three kings, his friends. But Job rejected the offer, saying, My healing and my restoration come from God, the Creator of all physicians. While the three kings were conversing thus with Job, his wife, Zitidos, made her appearance clad in rags, and she threw herself at the feet of her husband's friends. Amid tears she spoke, saying, O Eliphaz, and ye other friends of Job, remember what I was in other days, and how I am now changed, coming before you in rags and tatters. The sight of the unhappy woman touched them so deeply that they could only weep, and not a word could they force out of their mouths. Eliphaz, however, 
took his royal mantle of purple and laid it about the shoulders of the poor woman. Zitidos asked only one favor, that the three kings should order their soldiers to clear away the ruins of the building under which her children lay entombed, that she might give their remains decent burial. The command was issued to the soldiers accordingly, but Job said, Do not put yourselves to trouble for naught. My children will not be found, for they are safely bestowed with their Lord and Creator. Again his friends were sure that Job was bereft of his senses. He arose, however, prayed to God, and at the end of his devotions he bade his friends look eastward, and when they did his bidding, they beheld his children next to the ruler of heaven, with crowns of glory upon their heads. Zitidos prostrated herself and said, Now I know that my memorial resides with the Lord. And she returned to the house of her master. Hence she had absented herself for some time against his will. He had forbidden her to leave it, because he had feared that the three kings would take her with them. In the evening she lay down to sleep next to the manger for the cattle, but she never rose again. She died there of exhaustion. The people of the city made a great mourning for her, and the eulogy composed in her honor was set down in writing and recorded. The Legends of the Jews, Volume 2 by Rabbi Louis Ginsberg Job Restored more and more the friends of Job came to the conclusion that he had incurred divine punishment on account of his sins, and as he asseverated his innocence again and again, they prepared angrily to leave him to his fate. Especially Elihu was animated by Satan to speak scurrilous words against Job, upbraiding him for his unshakable confidence in God. Then the Lord appeared to them, first unto Job, and revealed to him that Elihu was in the wrong, and his words were inspired by Satan. Next he appeared to Eliphaz, and to him he spake thus, Thou and thy friends Bildad and Zophar have committed a sin, for ye did not speak the truth concerning my servant Job. Rise up, and let him bring a sin offering for you. Only for his sake do I refrain from destroying you. The sacrifice offered by Job in behalf of his friends was accepted graciously by God, and Eliphaz broke out into a hymn of thanksgiving to the Lord for having pardoned the transgression of himself and his two friends. At the same time he announced the damnation of Elihu, the instrument of Satan. God appeared to Job once more and gave him a girdle composed of three ribbands, and he bade him tie it around his waist. Hardly had he put it on when all his pain disappeared. His very recollection of it vanished, and more than this, God made him to see all that ever was and all that shall ever be. After suffering sevenfold pain for seven years, Job was restored to strength. With his three friends he returned to the city, and the inhabitants made a festival in his honor and unto the glory of God. All his former friends joined him again, and he resumed his old occupation, the care of the poor, for which he obtained the means from the people around. He said to them, Give me, each one of you, a sheep for the clothing of the poor, 
and four silver or gold drachmas for their other needs. The Lord blessed Job, and in a few days his wealth had increased to double the substance he had owned before misfortunes overtook him. Zitidos, having died during the years of his trials, he married a second wife, Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, and she bore him seven sons and three daughters. He had never had more than one wife at a time, for he was wont to say, If it had been intended that Adam should have ten wives, God would have given them to him. Only one wife was bestowed upon him, whereby God indicated that he was to have but one, and therefore one wife suffices for me too. When Job, after a long and happy life, felt his end approaching, he gathered his ten children around him and told them the tale of his days. Having finished the narrative, he admonished them in these words, See, I am about to die, and you will stand in my place. Forsake not the Lord, be generous toward the poor, treat the feeble with consideration, and do not marry with the women of the Gentiles. Thereupon he divided his possessions among his sons, and to his daughters he gave what is more precious than all earthly goods. To each of them one riband of the celestial girdle he had received from God. The magic virtue of these ribands was such that no sooner did their possessors tie them around their waist than they were transformed into higher beings, and with Sepharic voices they spoke out into hymns after the manner of the angels. For three days Job lay upon his bed, sick, though not suffering, for the celestial girdle made him proof against pain. On the fourth day he saw the angels descend to fetch his soul. He arose from his bed, handed a cithern to his oldest daughter, Jemima, Day, a censer, to the second one, Keziah, perfume, and a cymbal to the third, Amalathias, horn, and bade them welcome the angels with the sound of music. They played and sang and praised the Lord in the holy tongue. Then he appeared that sits in the great chariot, kissed Job, and rode away, bearing his soul with him eastward. None saw them depart except the three daughters of Job. The grief of the people, especially the poor, the widows, and the orphans, was exceeding great. For three days they left the corpse unburied, because they could not entertain the thought of separating themselves from it. As the name of Job will remain imperishable unto all time by reason of the man's piety, so his three friends were recompensed by God for their sympathy with him in his distress. Their names were preserved. The punishment of hell was remitted unto them, and, best of all, God poured out the Holy Spirit over them. But Satan, the cause of Job's anguish, the Lord cast down from heaven, for he had been vanquished by Job, who amid his agony had thanked and praised God for all he had done unto him. End of chapter 3 Job